leprosy. And uh, that was kind of a uh, complicated uh, thing. We understood that leprosy involved various skin diseases, not just the disease we call leprosy. But chapter 14 is going to talk about the um, way, the provisions that God makes to restore a person to fellowship with him and to fellowship in the community of Israel when his leprosy, his skin disease, went into remission. And uh, that's what we're going to be uh, looking at, trying to kind of understand some of these provisions. So would somebody read chapter 14, verses 1 to 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds, and cedar wood, and a scarlet string, and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay a one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood, and the scarlet string, and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair, and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. Okay, so here's the situation when the leper is cleansed, when uh, he is uh, essentially uh, free of his disease. Of course, where has the leper been during the time of his disease? Outside the camp. He's been outside the, uh, you know, area where Israel was camped and was, was together. He's been basically isolated and quarantined away from the people. So if he is healed, what's supposed to happen? Brought to the priest. Okay. Priest comes uh, outside the camp to the leper, and the priest examines the leprosy. If, in fact, it has been healed, then there are certain procedures that need to take place. The procedures involve what animals? Two birds. And basically, I don't know that I understand all the details of this, any more than I understand some of the rest of this, but I understand the basic idea. What's to happen to these two birds? What's to happen to the first one? Yes, he's to be killed. Uh, and what's to happen to the other bird? He's to be dipped in the blood of the slain bird and then what's going to happen to him? Yes. So you've got two birds. One of them's killed. One of them is dipped in the blood of the killed bird. And then that bird is set free and he flies away. Um, and the one who, the, the leper, what all happens to him? Yes. And even before that, um, he's sprinkled seven times. Uh, I assume 
with the, the blood of the, the slain bird. And then he's, he's, he's washes his clothes, he shaves off all his hair, and then he can come back into the camp, but not where? Yeah, he can't, well, he can't come into his tent. I think it means that he can't come back to his house yet. He can come back into the camp, but he has to stay for seven days outside of his house. That's the first day procedure. We're going to see what happens on other days because we're not done with this cleansing yet. But these are the first stages on that first day when the priest goes out to him and pronounces him clean. What comments and questions do you have? That's correct. Yes, symbolically, that's exactly right. Do you understand the concept behind the killing of the bird and then the dipping of the live bird in the blood and sending him off? Does that remind you of anything? The scapegoat. We're going to see in chapter 16 that on the Day of Atonement, sort of some similar procedures there, except it wasn't two birds, it was two goats. And one of the goats was killed and the blood was sprinkled in the uh, most holy place, and the other goat was uh, ultimately sent off. And uh, the idea of the goat being killed, or of the bird being killed, is the idea of what? What would we call that? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, yeah. The sacrifice, the atonement, the idea of, of the blood being killed in place of the man. The idea of the bird flying away, or of the goat going away, is the idea of what? Yeah, the sins, or in this case, the impurity of the leprosy going away. Kind of reminds you of a passage in Zechariah 5, where uh, sin was kind of in a big basket. This wickedness is kind of presented as a woman, and there's a big, heavy lead lid on the, the basket so she can't get out. And uh, there's two storks that come and fly wickedness in this basket away to the land of Shinar. The idea of flying something away is, is removing it from the people. And so I believe the, the live bird is more or less taking the, the, the uncleanness and the leprosy away from uh, this cleansed individual. <coughs> Comments and questions? Next day, verse 9. <coughs> Alright, so we had what happened on the first day in 1 through 8. This is which day now? <coughs> seventh day, and what does he do on the seventh day? I can remember something about that already. Do I? That's what he's supposed to do on the first day. So, why is it saying he's doing it on the seventh day? Yeah. Shaves himself again, this time even more thoroughly, and washes himself again, and prepares for the events of the eighth day. Any questions or comments on the seventh day? 
Alright, the eighth day, that's verses 10 to 20. Now the eighth day, he was to, make two ma- he was to take two male lambs without defect, and, er- and an er- early ewe lamb without defect, and three-tenths of an eve of a fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one with a log of, and, and one log of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed. And, and the, and the aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb and bring it for a guilt offering with the log of oil and present them as a wave offering before the Lord. Next, he shall slaughter the, the male lamb in the place where they slaughtered the, the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering, like, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest it is most holy. The priest shall, shall then take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the right uh, thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it onto his, onto his left palm. The priest shall then dip his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord. And the remaining oil, which is in his palm, the priest shall put some on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed, and on the right thumb of his right on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the guilt offering. While the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm, he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord. The priest shall next offer the sin offering to make atonement for uncleanness. And then afterwards, he shall he shall slaughter the burnt offering. And the priest shall authorize the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be. Okay. This is uh, Leviticus 14, 10 to 20. The eighth day. Uh, and this is fairly complex. It should have reminded you of something a little bit. What does it remind you of a little bit? Yes, it is a little bit like chapter 8 with the consecration of the priest. We'll see some uh, parallels. Um, But he brings the man, in verse 11, to the doorway of the tabernacle. And um, what's the first thing that he offers? A male lamb. Now, the male lamb was for what kind of sacrifice? Guilt offering. Now that's a little interesting. Uh, you see so much how we've needed chapters 1 through 7 as we go through the rest of this. It would not work well if we didn't have those already. Because you remember the guilt offering involved what? Money for what? Restitution. Now, there were two sort of different aspects of uh, the need for a guilt offering. Sometimes it was when you had, like, uh, taken something that didn't belong to you from somebody, and you had to pay restitution plus 20% to them and offer the guilt offering. But sometimes it was when you had cheated the Lord out of something that you owed him, and the restitution was paid to the Lord. Here, this is the cleansing of a leper. What? Who's been cheated out of what? Or why? Why have a guilt offering? 
You know, what does this leper owe somebody that would require a guilt offering? I'd have to think about that one a minute. I think there's a good explanation to that, but it is a bit curious, a bit not what you'd first think. What, what would a guilt offering require? Well, why would it, in other words, why would it be required? Yeah, but the guilt offering involves when the, either, either people or the Lord has been deprived of something that belongs to the mic. Or, or maybe, what are you getting at? Is it maybe something, you know, he hasn't been around to perform his duties to the Lord? Which would include what? Various sacrifices and offerings? I think that's it. I think he's more or less paying the guilt offering as compensation for, to God for the loss of service. He hasn't been able to make the required sacrifices and offerings while he's been unclean. And so he does owe something to the Lord. And so he provides a guilt offering. To me, that's a logical explanation for this. And, and makes sense then. The guilt offering is needed along with a drink offering, a log of oil to accompany it. And uh, evidently the priest, uh, you know, partakes of the guilt offering as, uh, as we know that they would. But there's a few unusual things about how this guilt offering is offered. Because what's done with the blood of this uh, lamb? Yeah, the ear, thumb, and toe. Just like with the priest back in chapter 8. And uh, all, what else is put on the uh, ear, the lobe, uh, ear lobe, and the thumb and the toe? Some of the oil. And what's done with the rest of the oil, or at least some of it? Yeah, what's done with some of the rest of the oil? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, in verse 18. What about in verse 16? We've got several things going with this oil. What does that mean? How would they sprinkle the oil before the Lord? Yes. Where in the tabernacle? Yeah. Sprinkling at least toward the veil. You remember how that was done uh, with the what? Yeah, but when what, when what offering was that done? A sin offering. A sin offering for the... High priest of the congregation, the blood was sprinkled toward the Lord, toward the veil. So this is done here with the oil. So some of the oil is sprinkled toward the Lord, some of it is put on those extremities of the uh, cleansed leper, and some of it is poured out on his head. So that's all in association with the guilt offering. And then what other offerings are, are made? Sin offering, what's used for that? <coughs> what's used for all the offerings, actually? Lambs. question might be whether it's the male or female. Um, I'm not sure if I know on that. Uh, but one of, the, one of the lambs, at least. And then, what other offerings? We had the guilt offering, the sin offering, and then the burnt offering. I think this is logical again. First, you have to make restitution. 
the guilt offering. Then you need purification of your sins, the sin offering, and then you give yourself to God, the burnt offering. So I think that fits the pattern of what we've seen as the symbolism behind the offerings. And then he is clean. How would he have felt at that point? Saved. Saved, yeah. Can you imagine the excitement? Remember what he's felt during this time that he's been unclean? <coughs> what, what, what has been hard about that for him? Cut off from God and the people. Cut off from God? Cut off from the people? And so he's been isolated. He's had, not had that fellowship with God or even fellowship with others. Can you imagine the excitement and the joy of being pronounced clean? Now he can come back and make his offerings before the Lord and be in fellowship with him, plus he can be in normal society. So this must have been a really exciting time when someone was pronounced clean from their leprosy. All right, comments or questions through verse 20. Um, I don't know about that. I would take this as more specific toward the leprosy, personally, but somebody got a good answer for that? Um, I kind of said that maybe he was, he would, he, in a sense, he would be saved because he'd be able to make his sacrifices. That's true. But, I, you know, I want you. the question would be, like, is the sin offering purifying him just of his leprosy or purifying him from other sins as well? I would think perhaps just of the leprosy, but I, I don't know that for sure. Right. Yeah, at least unintentionally. Uh, other comments or questions? I, this is a technical question. Not important, but I don't get I, I don't get why the I thought it was a ram, not a lamb. Oh, uh, let's look back. You probably are right. <laughs> Uh, in 5 um, 14 following yes it was a ram or a lamb where is, it? Where is that um, um, It's in 514 to 6-7, and then we've got it again in somewhere. I don't have my notes. Seven from that early part. Seven I don't believe the lamb is mentioned in either of the two sections. Which I think you may be right. Could it have been of you unique because it was leprosy, not necessarily sin? I would think that's a possibility. I mean, obviously he's saying a lamb here, so perhaps in the case of a le leprosy, the guilt offering is by means of a lamb and not a ram. Somebody got any definitive uh, answers on that one? So in the uh, manual portion of this, this is the normal way things appear to be done. I but in special circumstances, 
I, yeah, I think we can see that occasionally, that there are some specifications given that are slightly different. I don't have a better explanation than that to someone. I had not noticed that. So. Again, you see how much, if you, you know, if we can get to where we know this as well as we know Acts or whatever, things would jump out at us more, and we'd, we'd have a deeper understanding. It'd be, it'd be easier to feel like you were at home in the material. Somebody needs to make one of those charts, like, you know, the conversions of Acts and <coughs> Well, I've got one in my Bible, as a matter of fact, and uh, what it says for the guilt offering, it's a ram or a lamb, but I'm assuming that that may be incorporating this material. It doesn't use this passage in its reference, but I don't see where it says lamb in any of the earlier statements. Perhaps it does, and I just missed it. All right. Other questions or comments through 1420? 21 to... Yes. question about sin versus... Yes. I was exactly the question, but I just... You were thinking about Mark 1... 41, where Jesus touches the leper, moved compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said, I'm willing. He, and he said, I, I'm, he said something. He touched him, and he said to him, I'm, I'm willing to be cleansed. I mean, the cleansing there may have been more than just his leprosy, but it was his, his leprosy of which he was cleansed. Yes, and in that context, that's interesting, because Jesus says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest." and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Do you ever know what Moses commanded? Well, essentially, what's he going to have to offer when it's all said and done? Yeah, what, but what animals? Yeah, how many lambs? Yeah, two lambs and a ewe lamb, right? So three lambs. Two male lambs and a yearling ewe lamb. So that's what Jesus was really saying. You know, that's what Moses had commanded, and that's what he'd be offering. Kyle? You know, I'm not very smart, but a male lamb, <clears throat> is that a ram? Yes. Only rams have the horns, they're the males. Okay, so we're saying the same thing? Yeah. A male lamb is a ram. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Well, I, I missed you really. I, I was just born in <laughs> All right, maybe so. Maybe there's no difference except in age between a male lamb and a ram. In my topical index, it says ram, uh, a male sheep. Okay. <laughs> what about lamb? We put Bruce Shearer here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, a lamb. Right? But I guess that would be true. You know something from uh, the words in the Hebrew, Kyle? 
yeah. I assume it's different words. You can look that up while we're... lamb, it does say young sheep. Okay. So maybe, I mean, at least maybe this lamb, if he'd lived longer, would have been it, become a ram. And that makes it a little less distinct, the difference. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That, I mean, probably better to eat, maybe. I don't know. More tender, but I don't know. How old does a lamb have to be to become a ram? Anybody know? Yeah, I know, but I know. <laughs> the adult male fly is probably, you know, just a couple days old, so. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, sorry, Max. be the introduction to the next section. He gives the special uh, exception for the poor, and some have suggested that that was probably especially relevant for a, a, a cleansed leper, because if he's been outside the camp for very long, he probably hadn't had any way to make any money, and probably uh, you know would have more likely been poor and needed that exception. Because yeah, I would think if he had to buy three lambs, that would take some money. Britain. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if they'd pay somebody to take care of them or you know, their family would take care of them. I don't know. Maybe they would still have something accessible in that way. Kelly, did you have your hand up? Uh, well, you got to think leprosy wouldn't be good for business. Uh, and just, you wonder what kind of stigmatism you came with this. Because it does seem to just appear, and in some, time, some instances, it was God's, not always, I understand, but God's divine punishment. And so, you have to, you wonder, and this is not real speculative, but you have to wonder how people then treated them, even on a spiritual level, before <clears throat> Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, to have to declare yourself unclean, unclean, and uh, be excluded from the camp, I would think there would be a stigma to that. And probably they were somewhat rejected as well as having to be isolated. There are separate words. The word for lamb and you lamb are the same base word, but the word for ram is Okay. Thank you. This does say, I'm sorry. Although the word for lamb, it says can be translated lamb. Oh. But it is a different word used for lamb. Well. And this does say take two male lambs in 1410. It's not some emphasis on a mature lamb. Or an old lamb. 
<laughs> wow. Does anybody know the life expectancy of a sheep? Think about if you're going to eat it. <laughs> 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 Jan says yearly. That's a lamb. That's a one-year-old. Yeah, exactly. But that was a ewe lamb. So, you know, but, but it's, it would be the male lamb that would be used for the guilt offering. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know much about sheep. So, Greg. We've all pretty much concluded back here that it takes at least two years for a goat or a sheep to mature. And then it seems like the ram would be more valuable because if it was an uh, unblemished ram that they could use for breeding purposes, you know. But. I mean, normally you would think the adult more valuable than the child. <laughs> Not all would agree with that. Those who count would. Well, I know other comments or questions through 20. So after he was clean, then he can go back and the pool yes. and do whatever. Wouldn't that be weird? Like, if, especially if for a really long time you'd been unclean and now you can come back in. I don't know. It's kind of the same idea with being cleansed from sin or whatever. It's like you've done something really bad and now you're okay. Wouldn't that be exciting? That would be awesome. And, and we ought to feel that when we're cleansed of our sins. What a great privilege to come back into the presence of God and to be restored to fellowship with Him and His people. Britain? Okay. Other comments or questions? I think that's important for us in teaching non-Christians not to so bash sinners, but to admit that you're a sinner yourself because that would seem to discourage them from becoming a Christian if we're going to look, be looked at some wicked person, um, but admitting that everybody's a sinner, um, it, you, you'd have that more of acceptance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Good point. Other comments? Ben. So, he was a part of this society. He lived with these people every day. He did things for every day. So just, you know, the communal aspect of that, he would have been cut off from, he would have enormous sense. You know, just the idea of the worship to God, and the fact they're always offering sacrifices and constantly having to bring things, and that was the focus of the camp, the center of everything. You know, to be cut off from all of that, that was such a part of your life, that would have had an enormous impact on it. We can see that very clearly in this case. But, you know, we compare our lives today. You know, God, t- you know, the New Testament is supposed to discipline those who fall away. And we think about, does it have the same impact? You know, I mean, we look at our lives. Are we so close to our brothers in Christ, the other people in God, that they're, they're like a community to us, and that if we were cut off and we could not interact with them really, would we feel like we were all alone? Or would we feel like, oh, well, I don't have to hang out with those weird people? Or do you think about God, you know, is he really the center and focus of our life? The thing we build everything around him, and if we were not allowed, we weren't able to interact with him like we should. Would we feel like there's something you're missing, a huge gap, or would we feel like now? Now I don't have to go to church on some and sleep. I mean, would we really feel a loss like this man would have because he had these physical things? <coughs> or would we just feel like, well, now I have more time to go? The impact of being cut off would depend on how much you valued being with the Lord and being with your brothers. And certainly that's true in our status before the Lord today. That's a good point. Other thoughts? Think about uh, Luke 17, when Jesus cleansed the ten, le- the ten lepers. I mean, the nine who didn't come back. I mean, as you, as you reflect on these things, well, what kind of person is it that 
would be cured of this and be restored and wouldn't be filled with gratitude and go back and I mean it really makes that lesson even more powerful when you when you when we now understand what what they were cut off from. Absolutely. Uh, what ingratitude. Yes. And maybe even what excitement that might have provoked the ingratitude to be so eager to get back to people that it would be a temptation to forget the source also. But wow, yeah, what a tremendous blessing to be healed of leprosy in view of these consequences. Other thoughts? 21 to 32. are the provisions for the poor person who cannot afford uh, to provide the offerings that he's just been mentioning. And basically, this outlines the same procedure. And the biggest change is what? Only one lamb for which offering? The guilt offering. For the sin offering, the burnt offering, he's able to substitute what? <laughs> exactly. Birds, which would be much cheaper, we would think, than those lambs. Now, why couldn't he substitute something for the lamb of the guilt offering, you would wonder? I mean, that's still going to be somewhat expensive. And my answer to that is that he owes that debt. You know, that can't really be reduced. He, he still has all the, the offerings that he hasn't given to the Lord that must be repaid. And so that there's, there's really no changing that. But that, in other ways, he could uh, 
you know, be able to substitute the birds for the sin and burnt offering and, and make it less expensive for him and more accessible then for one who's been a leper. That basically, the procedures are similar other than that. So what questions and comments do you have? It says that the guilt offering is a wave offering in verse 21. I didn't see that when we read it before. I might have missed it. But is there a difference between, like, if you're poor, it's a wave offering, and if you're not poor, it's uh, something else? Um, in 12, it was also a wave offering, so there's no okay. difference in that sense. I don't recall that. Remember, if it specifies that it's a wave offering when he talks about it in the manual of sacrifice or not. I don't remember that it did. It's also being eaten in 7 6. Yeah, so. Other comments and questions through uh, 32? Okay, that's the cleansing for a leper. Now we move on to another uh, rather important matter, and that is when your house has a plague. And we're going to go ahead and read this whole section and then kind of break it down. So 33 to 53. The Lord further spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a mark of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, Something like a mark of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. The priest shall then command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the mark, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to look at the house. So he shall look at the mark, and if the mark on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depressions and appears deeper than the surface, then the priest shall come out of the house to the doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. The priest shall return on the seventh day and make an inspection. If the mark has indeed spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall order them to tear out the stones with the mark in them and throw them away at any unclean place outside the city. He shall have the house scraped all around inside, and they shall dump the plaster that they scrape off uh, at an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and replace those stones, and he shall take the other plaster and replaster the house. If, however, the mark breaks out again in the house, after he has torn out the stones and scraped the house, and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and make an inspection. If he sees that the mark has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant mark in the house, it is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, its stones and its timbers, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has quarantined it becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. If, on the other hand, the priest comes in and makes an inspection, and the mark has not indeed spread in the house after the house has been replastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the mark has not reappeared. To cleanse the house again, he shall take two birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop. And he shall slaughter the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. Then he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet string with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird as well 
as in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. <coughs> he shall thus cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the running water, along with the live bird, and with cedar wood, and with the hyssop, and with the scarlet string. <coughs> However, he shall let the live bird go free outside the city into the open field, so he shall make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, we've already had uh, people with leprosy, and uh, we've got some more chairs in here if you want to come on in and let people get in or whatever. They're kind of spread out. You may want to close up some water or whatever, but we do have several places to sit. So. But we've, we've had so far leprosy on people. We've also had leprosy in clothes. And uh, now what, what do we have leprosy in? Yeah, leprosy in a house. Not sure exactly how that worked, but uh, if God put leprosy, or at least a mark that looks like leprosy, some sort of a, I don't know what this would be, a mold, a fungus, you know, something of that nature, on the wall of the house, then there's a lot of things that have to happen, and we're going to look at those. Now, I want you to think about some general considerations before we look at the details. God not only cares about people, but he cares about everything around the people, too. And God was trying to train the people to be sensitive about holiness and the importance of things being clean and being holy and, and pure for these people. Um, it means that we don't just have an inherent right to use anything regardless of its condition. We can't be too attached to the things of this world. They may have to be torn down. So it would make you have to regard what you had as something that could be taken away from you. Now in this case, if this person comes as he should and tells the priest, look, there's something that looks like leprosy in the house. What does the priest first tell them to do? This is interesting. Move everything out from the house. Move everything out of the house. Why? Well, yes, but I think not just that. Because if the, the furniture is in the house, when the priest pronounced it unclean, then the furniture in the house would be unclean. So if they move the furniture out before the priest comes to inspect and declares it unclean, then the furniture is okay. And God is being merciful. He doesn't want them to have to sacrifice their furniture. That would be valuable to them. So move it out in case the priest declares the house unclean so that the furniture can be spared from that sentence. That's kind of an interesting uh, provision, Ben. Yes. You know, I, I don't know, like you say, it seems kind of like there's a mold of fungus in the sort, but it also seems kind of like it's something unusual, something that God did himself. Well, how unusual it is for God, is it for God to do things himself? Well, I don't mean like that. But well, but I mean, is that maybe not the point? I would take it that pretty much everything can be attributed to God. Well, he, just, he doesn't phrase it the same way. He says, when a man, when I put a mark of leprosy on a man or a flock, yeah, 
Maybe that's significant, but I'm not sure it is. Uh, I'm not sure that he couldn't have said the same thing about the, you know, man or whatever. Shay? In verse 15, when he says, then you shall kill one of the birds and an earthenware vessel overrunning water, is there any significance of killing it overrunning water? Probably. <laughs> no. What that symbolizes there that? No. Does somebody? That was what happened. Yes, it was what happened with the birds of the cleansing of the leper himself. Nobody asked that question then. I was spared. Anybody know why overrunning water, Kelly? Uh, I've got this side note that says not running water, but living water. And isn't this the bird that's is that the bird that's killed or free? Let's see. That's the bird that's killed. Anybody else uh, uh, know why running water is to be killed over? Kill this bird over cleaner water. Now, I don't know. Good question. I, there's something, though, in moving the furniture out. If our question here is health and contagiousness, then wouldn't you want the furniture to be declared unclean if they've been made uh, infected by the contagiousness of this leprosy. Evidently, they're not unclean until the priest comes in and declares the house unclean. Now, if, if contagiousness is the idea, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, are you only sick and contagious when you go to the doctor and the doctor says you are? Up until the time the doctor said you were contagious, you were okay? No. You know, you may be contagious whether you ever go to the doctor or not. So, I think, again, the point of all of this is probably not contagious. The point is the, the ritual uncleanness. Um, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to me, for whatever that's worth. So, the priest comes in, he looks at the mark, and if the mark appears deeper than the surface, then what's the priest supposed to do? Yes. Quarantine the house for? Seven days. seven days. And then he comes back on the seventh day and looks. And what does he look for? <coughs> if it's spread. If it has spread, what does he need to do? What do they need to do? Tear down everything that it spread to. Tear out all the affected part. And what? Scrape the house. And then replace the stones you had to take out, and then replaster the house. Um, uh, but then, what if after they do all of that, the house breaks out again in leprosy? You know, you can't get rid of this thing. Then what do you have to do? Yeah, just tear down the house. You lose your house. It's a malignant mark. Trying to get this door to stay open a little bit better. Maybe it'll be there. I don't know. It's hard to get this regulated either. We need to have all the warm-natured people uh, sit near the door and all the cold-natured people sit in the back. But, um, and and then uh, and so he loses his house. And uh, what if uh, the priest comes in? And the mark has not spread, and, and he reinspects, and, and they've replastered it all, and everything's okay. Then what's he supposed to do? 
Yeah, you go through the cleansing ritual that involves the two birds, very similar to what was done with the leper himself. All right, comments and questions through 53. Britain. Yeah, exactly. Verse 40. <coughs> and verse 41, they do the same thing with the plaster they scrape off. They get them away from the camp so they didn't make the camp unclean. Well, we had mentioned earlier that some of the leftovers of the sacrifices they took outside the camp to a clean place. What determined what went to the clean and what went to the unclean? Well, uh, this stuff would go to the unclean place because it's affected with leprosy. Now, a sacrifice is essentially a holy thing, and so it would be burned in a clean place. That'd be my explanation. But it wasn't necessarily that the leftovers that were taken out and burned were unnecessary, but that was just another step. But they weren't the bad parts. No, no. It wasn't, wasn't a negative thing when those parts of the sacrifice were taken out and burned. I think it's just the proper ritual way of disposing of those animals when they aren't allowed to be eaten uh, for one reason or another, generally because uh, the priest himself was involved in the, uh, as the one for whom the sacrifice is offered. Didn't did it also, I'm not sure I got my question, didn't it also point back to the holiness of the altar? Okay, and, the, and so the sacrifice... The entrail, entrails weren't going to be burned in some cases on the altar. Okay. Okay. Max? I know everybody's wanting to ask this. To ask this but what about the cedar wood that hits it with scarlet spray? I have no idea. I knew you were going to say that. But I <laughs> Always got to be somebody to complicate things. Yeah, I mean, these uh, also were... Uh, um, taken and, and uh, uh, dipped in the blood of the slain bird. Hey, um, <coughs> sorry, were there two birds this time? Yes. And the one bird was dipped in the blood of the other? Yes. Along with those things? Yes. What if he was tied up and dug under with those things? Because how easy would it be to just take a bird and force him to do something? We can attest to that's not very easy. All right, so you think we tied him to the wood or something? <laughs> Put this, uh, this bird on a stretcher. Or, uh... <laughs> I don't know, Kyle, or do you have any information on this? Yeah. I mean, it's a, I just think it's Psalm 51. Maybe use it, but maybe he uses it because it's easy. I think so. I would say that. But. Is that a plant? Yeah, hyssop's a plant, right? It's, a, it's an older male plant. <laughs> 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 yes, thank you for that. Anybody wants to know how to mistreat birds or anything, Greg can tell you all about it. Oh. <laughs> I have a picture of hyssop right here. Oh, really? Wow. Is it really? On the cop truck, yeah. Are you serious? If anyone wants to uh, see this a little later, we have some hyssop right here. <laughs> wow! Didn't know they still made it today. 
<laughs> okay, Kelly. Well, this this all reminds reminds us of Deuteronomy six, where you know they they're not in the land yet, as he's already pointed out. They're obviously they're, they're still in Mount Sinai. They haven't even had to water forty years. In Deuteronomy six, he says, "Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers." Abraham and so on, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and they become full of these things. Walk, verse 12, then watch yourself lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. I mean, what, what a lesson this would be for them and for us too, that you know, if God put leprosy in the house, he gave them the house in the first place. Many of these things, he didn't build them, he didn't build the cisterns, or they didn't build the cisterns, they didn't build the vineyards. He gave them to them if he decided to put leprosy in them. I mean, it just, it's such a kind of a stark reminder to us that we think all this stuff is ours, but it's just not. And we just need to live with We need to take the, the warning during the six to our Well, absolutely. I would just, that's a really good point that you have this house. You've been living in this house for however long. You like the house. You've invested in the house. You've kept the house up. You've done whatever. And leprosy breaks out in it. And if you... <laughs> You know, if, it, if it's a certain kind of, of leprosy, so to speak, you're going to have to take out the whole affected part. You're going to have to scrape out all the plaster. You're going to have to replaster your whole place. And then if it breaks out again, you've got to just level the house. It was your house. To the way we would think of that. You know, how can they do that to my house? I mean, uh, you know, we've got the right of eminent domain at least in some cases where the government can come in and force you to, you know, dispose of your house to them so they can build a road or whatever, but they have to pay you market value for the house. You know, we would be up in arms if somebody could just come in and say, okay, that house has got to go. You don't get a thing. But that's exactly what the Lord's saying here. And I think Kelly's point is exactly right. This is God's house to begin with. It's not our house. We didn't, you know make the material we didn't God's the one who provides everything for us the air we breathe the food we eat the whole thing and so if God recalls the house we should not complain and it would teach you to hold every possession with a loose hand it's not something that you have a guarantee of don't treasure it too closely that seems to me to be a logical conclusion Comments and thoughts? Logan. I think that this goes back to the point of what we talked about before about uh, with the sacrifices, they're really giving back to God. Because, I mean, God, God would have given them the house, so in reality, he had every right to take it away. Yes. Well, maybe the point is, too, back to what we talked about yesterday, that if this is true of houses, point's probably even clearer at this moment about leprosy and their lives. If God took their body back or their life back to glorify himself or to serve his purposes, even our lives, what, what confesses that he, your life is not your own? Do uh, what with the prize? That's what Corinthians uh, 6, verse 19. Yeah. I mean, even our lives are his. How much more houses? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If our life belongs to God, then everything we have belongs to God. All right, any other comments or questions through 53? Ben. It's about what Charlie was saying about those things to the glory of God. 
sometimes we get a very selfish focus on why we shouldn't be attached to things. They're like, oh, you know, the moth is the rust corrupt here. And we're going to get better things when we get to heaven. <coughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's good to have a perspective of things here being temporary, but at the same time, you know, it's not just the fact we're going to get to heaven and get better things that makes us, that should make us not, you know, treasure things here too much. Mm-hmm. We should treasure, like you were saying, the points we made several times, so that these things are God's, they come from Him. He takes them away for His glory. We should rejoice that He's glorified, not because, well, He's going to give us better stuff. Amen. That, that's still that's keeping us somewhat spiritual folks, but it's still focused on ourselves, not on God. Amen. I do thought. And all this, you just try to see later on when people get so far away from the law and from God, different things that would have been easy for them. And I just can see somebody, you know, hanging up a picture on the wall and hiding that spot. You know? <laughs> or, because I mean, it's their house, and they don't. They didn't trust God that He could provide for them if their house was taken away, and, and different things like this that were in the law. And with the leper, I mean, they don't—they normally went around with more clothes on than we do, and could probably get away with it um, a lot of times. Uh, but this was in the law that had to be. God made them trust in Him if, he, if they were going to abide abide by His laws, and they were going to get the benefits of being his people he made them trust in him and, and um, be honest about their situations and with the priest too uh, I, that's what I thought would have been uh, in this situation something that would have been hard for him and all the responsibilities he had to go out to somebody's house and to come back a week later and to come back even later than that if it still needed to be torn down it would have been easy for him to just say Oh, maybe we can just skip to the end. You know, that looks like a lot of leprosy, and we'll just tear the whole place down and we'll call it even. But that wasn't how God wanted it to be. He wanted them to do it this way. I think also with the priest, can you imagine how hard it would be to declare someone a leper unclean or to condemn the house essentially? I mean, you know, you feel for the person, it would be easy to say, well, you know, I, I didn't really see that. Or whatever. And yet the priest needs to act by the will of God. And if it's unclean, if it needs to be torn down or whatever, he's got to he's got to guard the holiness of God. Britt. You kind of think that, I mean, maybe they have, like, every so often, if they have somebody come and check their houses and stuff, and then go and say, kind of like, because, because he said, nobody's going to want, nobody's going to want. Yeah, as far as I know, there was no provision for that. We might have done that. I think God's, you know, expecting the people to be upfront and honest. Lisa. Yeah, that's that's possible. We talked about that a little bit with the whole thing. I'm not personally convinced these have health significance, um, but. Uh, you know, certainly we could imagine this being contagious, and so there may have been a health benefit to it, even if that wasn't really the purpose behind the law. Ben? Think about how this might have been for you, I'm not convinced it would have been terrible. Because, I mean, if you care about someone, it would be hard, of course, but at the same time, when they have to be nasty on them, they're losing, you know, they have this leprosy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and 
Second Corinthians six fourteen to seven one. You know, come out from among them and be separate and, and cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. We should not be involved and participate in things that are unclean. Other comments? He says in fifty four, this is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for a scale and for the leprous garment or house, and for a swelling and for a scab and for a bright spot. To teach when they are clean and when they or when they are unclean and when they are clean. This is the law of leprosy. So that's your summary in this chapter. Remember, several of these chapters now have kind of that summary statement at the end of the chapter. So that's the uh, whole leprosy and related matters section. Anything else you want to say on chapter fourteen? All right, the $64,000 question is what are we going to do with 15? And what are we going to do with 15 is I'm going to summarize it briefly and move on. Uh, because I would rather, if we're going to talk about 15 in detail, to do it just with the guys. Uh, and so if some of you guys have questions you want to ask or to talk about it more, I'll be glad to do that. And the girls can go to Sandra or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but I just think this would probably be better, particularly with the uh, degree of questioning we're getting. I'm not sure I want to answer all the questions that might come up about this chapter uh, in the mixed company. But it is a chapter about discharges, and it's fairly easy to outline. The chapter itself is 1 through 30, and the last three verses are the summary. Within the chapter itself, you have chronic abnormal discharges of the male in 1 through 15. You have the normal discharges of the male in 16 and 17. 
And then you have, in 18, the sexual intercourse between the man and the woman. And then in 19 to 24, you have the normal female discharges. And in 25 to 30, you have the abnormal chronic female discharges. So it's very symmetric. The abnormal discharges of the male, the normal discharges, and then when the man and woman are together, and then the normal discharges of the woman, and the abnormal discharges of the woman. Now, there are several things that can be seen uh, in some of these things. We are dealing with cleanliness and uncleanness. And you can certainly see in some of these things that there's no sin involved. Uh, being unclean until evening, when the husband and wife are together, for example, is certainly not sinful. In fact, it's God commanded. And yet, it's, it's unclean because it involves the, the discharge and so forth. Um, in, the, in the pagan religions, um, there was much emphasis on sexual activity as a part of the worship of the pagan gods. But in the worship of God in the Old Testament, um, the God banned from the sanctuary someone who had had sexual intercourse until evening. And so that's clearly taking the possibility of temple prostitution and so forth out of the picture for the Israelites. Um, it's also interesting to me that every part of life is, is um, subject to God's regulation. No part is exempt from the Lord's involvement. And while much of this chapter is physical in nature, we're going to look at some moral things in later chapters, God calls men today to purity in sexual relationships. And some of the specific requirements here would indicate that sexual involvement could not be an obsession in life. There are other things, and there are times when, when there could not be that sexual contact. Contact, And so there would have to be self-discipline and restraint exercised in those things. Those are just some of the lessons that jumped out at me in this chapter. I'm going to let you um, make comments or ask questions, but on a limited basis. If there are some general remarks you want to make or, or whatever, or ask questions that are you know, not going to involve embarrassing uh, questions and so forth, that's fine. Perhaps some of the, those who are more mature would, would do better uh, asking those or making the comments. But, uh, but are there some, some general comments or some uh, reasonable questions that you have on this chapter? Yeah, um, in 1 Samuel, I think uh, with Bathsheba, do you have a comment on the cleansing that she was doing? Besides that she shouldn't have been doing it in public? No, he's not talking about that. No, I don't know uh, about that. Uh, does somebody? I mean, she, she cleansed herself after her contact with David and went back to her house. I mean, I suppose that she was unclean until evening. And well, I guess more of the question, it appears that that's what she was doing when David saw her. Oh, okay. And... I don't know. I didn't. Uh, in the roof, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Yeah. What makes you think that that was a something related to purification? The priest was washing the priest after the period. 
Yeah. I was thinking that it's just a, a regular fast. I don't know if there was any, if that was anything more than a regular bath. I've never thought of it as that way, but maybe it was. I don't know. So as if the question was, I guess, came up when we were studying that was, it would just be another thing that proved it was David's baby, and that another uh, another thing, even pouring on even more emphasis on that, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know if there's anything really in the text that would indicate this was a specific bathing for some particular re reason. I mean, there were several reasons, you know, for a, a washing of the body, you know, throughout the Old Testament. But I don't know that this was anything other than just a regular bath. I don't know. Somebody got a definitive statement on that? I never thought of it the other way, so. All right. Other comments and questions and things that are worthwhile? Logan? Um, I just wondering if, as would happen later, that the Israelites intermarried with the other tribes of Canaan, would the uh, wives and husbands from other tribes have to take part in the purification as well? Uh, that's a good question. They weren't supposed to intermarry. So I don't know if there's any provision in the law related to that. But they were allowed to carry off like other women from people that they captured. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So whether they married them or not, I guess they'll be out of people. Yeah, and there were certain situations in which someone could be converted to Judaism and they could marry them. But in that case, I assume they would follow these procedures. If the person continued as a pagan, I don't really know. Somebody got a thought about that? Good question. I would think that maybe they wouldn't be allowed to continue as a pagan among God's people, would they? I mean, those it wouldn't be right. Generally, looked down upon pretty strongly. Might, might, you know, those those provisions are for God's people, as that I can think of. And I, I guess it's almost beside the point. Be if you're if you're in a wrong marriage, I mean, why are you trying to follow the purification rules? Right. Yeah. That's that's sort of some of the. Uh, doctrinal debates we get into today because we're doing things that are wrong to begin with so now we say now what do we do about it uh -huh. God didn't make those provisions and we shouldn't have been there in the first place hard to do the wrong thing the right way isn't yeah. it yeah. yeah good point that's probably a good answer I was thinking about the woman in Mark who's been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years. and that how involved that would have been that she was unclean it wasn't just this horrible problem she felt bad all the time but that she was cut off in that way, too. And That's a good point. That they, Because we might not think about the ramifications of that in Mark if we didn't think about this chapter. That's exactly right. It was more than just the physical consequences. Good point. Anything else that you all want to say about this chapter? I'm going to be going out on a limb to touch Jesus. I don't think so. Would make any, him any, unclean. Yeah, any normal person, they would be unclean. It's kind of like the um, when he touches the leper, they should make him unclean. But yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that was yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good point. Good, good thoughts. Very helpful. Anything else? Was that ever wrong? I mean, could you ever? I guess he could never have been unclean. Well, no, he probably was unclean from time to time. 
I mean, right. Um, but I mean, when Jesus touched the leper, I don't think he became unclean because he cleansed the leper. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a I mean, that sort of breaks all the categories. Uh, he was able to do something quite different. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't that be similar to, you know, when the, when the priests cleanse the leper, I don't think they necessarily you know, became unclean in that sense. Although I don't know that they touched him. Well, I probably wouldn't. If I... <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would think they wouldn't have, yes. Exactly. All right, other thoughts? I thought your point was really good about that all of our lives are under God's authority. And therefore, even legitimate contact between husband and wife would sometimes have to be um, withheld because there might be things that uh, one would need to do in the assembly or it might be a feast day or something. That, so all of their lives were governed by God and even legitimate blessings from God would have to be uh, withheld. Yes. Greater, greater purpose. Absolutely. God has regulations about it all, and they have a problem. Other thoughts? We need to economize time anyway, so 15 is a good place to do that. It would probably be reasonable for us, so we haven't been that long yet, but why don't we take a brief break, and then 16 is really, really good, and uh, it'd probably be good for us to start out fresh in 16 uh, with the Day of Atonement. A uh, very practical chapter, I think, and, and helpful. So, uh, 